Good morning, Redemption Tempe. My name is Warren. I'm one of your pastors here. I'm glad to be with you on this second Sunday of 2023. And it's our Jordan year. Um, and so in light of the greatest basketball player who's ever lived, uh, I hope it's a great year for you and yours. And so with the new year, we're actually kicking off a brand new series. It's a series that we're calling Rich Toward God. And the series deals with what we all wanted to talk about when we came to church this morning, money and possessions. Um, and so some people might be saying, you might be asking out there, like, why this one? Of all the things that we could be talking about when it comes to the Bible, why are we doing this one? Well, I can give you a couple reasons. I think one of them would be uh, when we look at Jesus and how he taught, this wasn't a subject that he, he shied away from. Um, I think I saw that 11 of the 40 parables dealt with some reference to money or possession. So if Jesus thought it was important, guess what? We do too. And I think there's just this reality of like, we can't avoid this subject. We can't avoid the subject of money. Money has a great influence in our world. We know that it's used for a lot of good, right? It allows us to enjoy God's good creation, allows us to be generous, allows us to take care of responsibilities and such. And then we know that there's also on the negative side, there's greed, right? We see it in the big scandals of our day, of the Bernie Madoffs, more recently the FTX, uh, all these scandals, even within the church sometimes, uh, you know, at, at worst, we've seen greed be a driving force. And yet, with all this that has happened, right, with all these diff different negative things, we still just can't abstain from the use of money. So we got to think about it, right? How do we, how do we think about this? Now, I think of all the subjects we could be talking about in church, this is probably one of the most uncomfortable. I was even thinking about this, like last year we had the Jay Stringer conference and it like dove into sexual brokenness and trauma and like so many of us would be more readily, we'd more readily participate in a group that dove into like our sexual trauma and brokenness and history than we would participate in a group where maybe the questions were like, well, how much do you make? What does your bank statement look like? Are you being generous? How much debt do you have? Yeah, a lot of us would not want to be in a group like that. If our RCs started going that direction, we'd be hitting up John and Melissa being like, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. But it's just the reality that this is such an area that we, we keep so close to our chest, right? We're willing to open our lives up in so many different ways. But when it comes to the finances, we're like, no, 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 that one stays close to the chest. I know many people will be like, well, I, I just don't care about money, right? Money doesn't mean anything to me. I heard a preacher say once that uh, many a man or woman will say, I don't care about money. But he said, okay, you say you don't care about it, but you date it, you fantasize about it, you romance it, and you lose sleep over it. Sure sounds like you care about it to me. So money's a real thing in our life. Money is one of God's biggest rivals, as it's often um, said in the Bible or put in the Bible. And so if we desire, as a church, we, we often say around here is all of life is all for Jesus, right? And so if that is the case, then we want to bring this area of our lives out of the shadows and into the light of Christ. And so that's our hope for this series. Our hope for this series is that you would be equipped to be faithful with the finances, to be faithful with the different treasures that God has given you. 
And so as we get started today, we have a couple of questions that we are just going to get started with. It's a series in a whole um, that will be on the table today. I think the two questions I want us to explore today are, what are the things that are keeping us from being rich toward God? What are the things that are getting in the way of the rich toward God life? And then we'll talk about what this life looks like. What does it mean for us to be rich toward God? You guys ready to jump in? All right. So before we do that, you join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you that uh, in this world we're not left without direction. Uh, We have your word. We have your spirit that's leading us and guiding us, helping us to, uh, to experience life. Uh, in truth, life in the abundant way uh, that you have made for us. And so, God, I pray even now you would open up our ears, you would open up our hearts to receive your word and allow us to be shaped more and more into your faithful people. In your name, amen. All right, so we are going to start today. We are going to be in Luke 12 today, and we are going to start in verses 13 through 15. So you can open up your Bible there, your Bible app there, and follow along. It says this in Luke 13, uh, uh, Luke 12, I'm sorry, 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on, on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. So as we start to think about the things that get in the way of the rich toward God life, I think the first thing that we want to point out is this. We can't be rich toward God when we're more consumed with getting the things that other people have. So we're in Luke 12. We see where we find Jesus is how we often find them in the Gospels. He's teaching, and there's a crowd around him, and they're all listening, eating up the words that he is uh, teaching, that he's saying. And if you read earlier in Luke 12, it's like he's teaching some just amazing things about life with God. He's talking about, hey, like, we shouldn't fear, fear man more than we fear God. He talks about how the Holy Spirit comes and meets people in their time of persecution. Just amazing truths, amazing realities about the life of God. And as he's doing that, he's interrupted. He's interrupted. There's a guy who yells out. And he's like, hey, teacher, please tell my brother to play fair. Please tell my brother to give me what I am owed. And where this man probably finds himself, this man who is yelling out to Jesus for justice in his eyes, where he finds himself is his, he's probably the youngest brother in his family, the youngest sibling in his family. And his dad didn't go to the uh, will and trust event that they had in Jerusalem. And so he probably died without a will. And so when that happened in their days, the eldest brother would be in charge of dividing the inheritance, dividing the father's estate. The Bible doesn't say if he didn't get anything or he didn't get what he wanted, but in some way or another, he feels like he was cheated. And so he's yelling out. He's yelling out to Jesus and saying, hey, I know rabbis usually get involved in this. And so all of what you're teaching, I'm sure it's very great, and I'm going to let you finish. But first... Can we deal with this, with this problem that I'm having in my family? And you get a picture there. 
right? As Jesus is teaching, God in the flesh is there teaching profound things about God, these deep spiritual truths. This man is just like, yeah, but show me the money. Show me the money. And so we see how Jesus responds to him because the way Jesus responds to him is a lot different than what we see or how we see him respond to people in the Gospels. It's not like, hey, friend, hey, brother, hey, child. No. He says, man. He says, man. There's some distance that you can feel in the tone that Jesus is speaking in as we read those words. And it's not a distance because of Jesus distancing himself away from him. It's this man who's distanced himself away from God because of his greed. That even though he's physically near to God, he couldn't be further away because his mind is distracted by by the fact that he doesn't have what his brother has. And he maybe thinks Jesus to just be another rabbi, but here's what Jesus is saying. That's why Jesus says, I'm not the judge or arbitrator over you. I haven't come to bring property to people. I've come to bring people to God. So I'm not getting involved in your family adventure. Not getting involved in that squabble. And what Jesus does is he uses this man's interruption then to give us a command. We see the command in verse 15. What does it say? It says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And that word, I know it's an older word of sorts, but what it means there is a strong desire to have that which belongs to someone else. Because he says, this is not what our lives are made up of. Our lives are not made up of all that we possess. Lives are not made up of your possessions. Don't get caught up in that game. Don't get caught up in the comparison game. Now, I know for us, like, that's not a struggle for us, right? Like, we don't, we don't worry about the comparison game. No. I think even our current generation, my generation, we have it a lot harder than a lot of generations before us because Maybe before, people were just trying to keep up with the Joneses next door, but now we got the Joneses from here to Kingston, Jamaica, man. We can see everybody, right? Just through our phones, we can see what everybody else is up to, what everyone is is doing in their lives, the ways that maybe they've come up financially or the experiences they're having, right? We're like, man, they're going to Joshua Tree again? Dang, they got to eat at Nobu? Wow. For me, it was like, for my family, it was like, um, when I, before we bought our house, I would like go on Instagram and I would see people when they bought their house and they'd like have the key and they'd do that little smile and stuff. Like, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And I'd be like, man, you know, like, why are they so much ahead of me? Right? Like, we're the same age. How are they able to do that? And why am I not there yet? So many different areas we can find ourselves. Even in interior design. I think back in the day, we used to just buy couches because they were nice to sit on. Now it's like, well, is that the mid-century modern vibe that we are looking for? (laughs) Always comparing ourselves. 
Some of us, our Amazon carts are never empty, always buying. Our Amazon driver's at our door so much, man, you should invite him to community launch by now, man. <laughs> right, always striving to uh, accomplish or to try to meet someone else's standard. And it's not a striving that's like, well, I want to, you know, they did some good work and I want to do good work. No, it's like their work is what ultimately, if I don't get there, if I don't get their body, if I don't get their, uh, 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 their, their, their trips that they can take, their promotions, they get, if I don't get that, then my life's a failure. Here's what I want to say. If we want to be rich toward God, we got to leave this mindset behind. We can't be consumed with getting the things that other people have. And what happens to us when we covet, as the Bible says? What happens to us? I think there are a number of things that happen to us. I think even just on a practical level, something that can happen is we can find ourselves loaded up in all sorts of debt. All sorts of debt. Spending money we don't have on things we don't need to impress people who do not care. That's a quote from Will Smith. He said it before the slap, so we're still good to put it in the sermon. But there's a reality, right? When we're in a spot like that, it makes it very hard to be generous because we're always paying down some credit card. Instead of being able to help somebody, we're paying something else in four, right? It chains us in a way that we can't live generously. And I think even more, something that happens on a deeper spiritual level is what it does is it deadens God's glory in our lives. It deadens his voice in our lives. Because what happens is we start to look at the glory of everybody else, and instead of pursuing God's glory, we are chasing after someone else's. And so just like that man who was there with Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, right there teaching, He couldn't get it because he was too consumed with chasing his brother's glory. And in the same way, we can find ourselves like that, right? We've made ourselves so consumed with what other people have that the voice of God just seems dull. The things that he calls us to just don't seem as shiny as the shiny thing we're pursuing. We lose our awe of who God is. He's present in our lives, that he's with us never able to actually experience any sort of contentment in our lives. And what does that discontentment show? That discontentment, actually what it shows, is an expression that, oh God, you owe me this. You owe me that thing that someone else has that I don't. Now, I know when we get into the realm of like social media, maybe even this series as a whole, some people are like, well, I'm not on there, so... I guess this one's not for me. Well, here's what I would say. Look at that command in uh, in verse 15 that Jesus says. What does he say? He says, take care and be on guard against all kinds of covetousness. Notice, he wasn't talking to the man when he said that. He was talking to the crowd. And the crowd, I'm sure, had people that were all over the financial spectrum. But what Jesus is saying is that we must all take an active posture against guarding our hearts against this sort of greed. None of us are off the hook here. 
Because the reality is there is an enemy who will use covetousness, who will use greed to ultimately try to distract us from the voice of God, who ultimately try to say God's not good because he hasn't done this for you. And so we must be on guard that the things that come into our life, they're not neutral. We're not agnostic about it. When you get a promotion, it's not a neutral thing that happens. Right? We must think about, okay, if these things are coming on my life, how do I protect myself? And so the question as we dive in into the new year, and I know some of y'all are writing goals and resolutions and so forth, and here is one I would add to your list. In light of these words of Christ, how are you planning to take an active posture against coveting? How are you planning to not wait until it springs up in your heart, but to get ahead of it, to be proactive? I think some of us, some of, sometimes for me, I just, I just got to hit the unfollow button, you know? I'm just like, you're muted, you know? Because following you is doing something for me that's like not bringing joy and contentment in my life. It's just bringing a comparison for me. Some of us got to turn off the show, maybe that's doing it. And I think as we get into this series, all of us should be thinking about our bank statements, right? How are we spending? Are we spending in a way that's maybe trying to, like, justify our worth? Are we spending in a way where we are trying to, like, gain our worth and status versus recognizing that those things come from the fact that you are created in God's image that he loves you, you're his child, you don't have to go and search or buy those things. You can't buy it. But it's found in the Father's love for you. You don't have to try to earn your self-worth. It's given to you by God. And so if we are to be his people, his faithful witness in this world, then his glory must be the only one we pursue. He must be the only God in our life. Amen? Amen. So we are going to keep going. And as we continue on, what we're going to see is this. It's not just covetousness. It's not just covetousness that gets in front of this rich toward God life. And so you can open your Bible up to Luke 12, 16 through 19, and we are going to continue on. It says this. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. Excuse me. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So Jesus goes into this parable. And as we see, the second thing we're going to see that keeps us from the rich toward God life is this. We can't be rich toward God if we are more obsessed with future security than faithfully following him. Ooh-hoo, yeah. (laughs) We're going there today, y'all. And we're going there not just to make you uncomfortable for uncomfortable's sake, but we're out of this. We're praying for a a season of just a life of faithfulness in this area of our lives. And so 
Jesus uses this interruption by the man to, uh, to spring into a parable, as he often does. And it's a parable about the danger of just becoming too overly consumed with the rainy day. Being too overly consumed with hoarding treasure. You know, I've read this parable millions of times or hundreds of times, maybe not millions, but a lot of times. Um, uh, and I think like getting into it this past week and I was, as I was like working on this, there's a lot of things that we can observe uh, that Jesus talks about this man. There's a lot of uh, just, just things to observe in the life of this man and the picture that Jesus paints in this parable as uh, as it often comes with Jesus, there, there are levels to this. So um, let's get into it. It says this, the man is rich. He's already a man of means, right? And so he goes and he works the land and the land produces plentifully. Now catch that, right? Like the man did some work, right? I'm sure he was out there on his John Deere doing what he had to do. But ultimately there was something else that provided this season of surplus that he's experiencing in his life now. Right? The land produced plentifully. Let's keep going. And so he ends up with this surplus. And then Jesus gives us some insight into like his mindset. How does he think about this season of surplus? Okay, what does he say? And it says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Felt like I sounded like Eminem just now, man. <laughs> but I don't know if you heard that. I counted 11 eyes and my's in there. And what we get there is a a, a man, see, there is a man who's made himself the final authority on everything that has come his way. And here's what's interesting. It's not even, he, he doesn't even say like, well, you know, my needs will be met. My physical needs will be met. What does he say? He says that as long as we have everything hoarded away, as long as we have everything protected, not only will my physical needs be met, but my soul will be at rest. My soul will actually be at rest. So he's not even just the final authority on his body. He's saying, when it comes to everything apart about my life, mind, body, spirits, all of it, I am the final authority. As long as I have enough stored away, soul will be fine. He's made that ruling. As long as his accounts are loaded up, his soul will be at rest. Now, I think, you know, if there was any time that I see that this happens in our lives, and I think this is almost universal, it's, uh, it's when that Powerball number starts to go up. When that Powerball number starts to go up, it starts to get into that Billy range, right? We start to, we start to fantasize. We start to think, you know, if I won the lottery, right? Of course, I would give like a sizable portion to the church first, right? I may not give now, but when, when that happens, like, yes, that'll be, that'll be the day. 
I might get one nice Lamborghini, but just for the weekends. <laughs> might buy one extra house. And, and on top of that, like, I just won't have to work anymore. Imagine how restful life would be. You get these fantasies in our head that if we just had enough money, all of our life, the wholeness of our life would just be at a total state of, uh, of, of, of shalom, rest. Never mind the fact that like so many lottery winners, they end up like, they say like, oh man, it was like the absolute worst thing to happen in my life because all this money came and now I'm unhappy and they find out what... Uh, what P. Diddy said in the early 90s, more money, more problems, and <laughs> life doesn't get easier. Right? They actually don't find themselves at a place of rest. It's not how it works. Just because your stomach is satisfied doesn't mean your soul will be at rest. And I think here's the, the, the truth of this, right? If we desire to be rich toward God, then he must ultimately be our rest and our peace. Not in how much money we have saved up. Not in the 401k being whatever number we want it to be. And so what we can't do is we can't put future security over faithfulness right here in the present. You know, we think that money provides rest for our souls, right? But as you, if you look at the mindset of the man in the parable, does he seem to be at rest? Does his spirit seem to be at rest? He's already rich, but what is he worried about? Oh man, we gotta build bigger barns. We have to build bigger houses to, to guard against all this surplus. No recognition of God. No recognition of community because he has totally isolated himself from all those things. And so he is fully in protect mode. No satisfaction there. You think that money is ultimately, if you think that, well, maybe I just got to hit that savings goal and that's where I'll find my rest. What I'm going to tell you is you're putting your hope in a someday that's never going to come. Usually money and possessions don't provide us rest. They make life a little complicated more complicated. I even realized this, uh, just a side note, like I bought my daughter uh, uh, one of those electric cars for Christmas and we took it to the park and uh, man, going to the park usually used to just be like this nice experience. But we brought it and she went to play and I started like messing with it and she was looking at me like, no, 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 please don't move it. I was like, wow, man, I probably just made her life more complicated, you know? But it can't provide the rest that we're looking for. And here's what I want to be clear, is that the Bible doesn't condemn saving money. What it condemns is seeing money as your savior. Those are two very different things, right? One, there is wisdom to uh, uh, handling the resources that God has given us wisely. That's a good thing. But then there's, on the flip side, what can happen is there's this mindset that comes that we become so rigid when it comes to finances. We become so rigid that even if Jesus was here right now and saying, hey, I command you to be generous, we'll be like, well, let me just check with my financial advisor first. That's the mindset that's being condemned here. I think our anxieties in this era, in this area of our lives can reveal a lot of idols that have maybe happened in our heart. We go into 
protect mode, protect only mode. My IT guys know that when you're in that mode, you're not fully functioning. You're not actually fully functioning. Your life isn't functioning the way it was created to be. And so we don't want to be those people who say, my future security comes from my possessions. My future security comes from my money. What we want to be is the people who say, God, you have been my past, my present, and you will be my future security into eternity. Right? Because if you've made your future security something else, yes, it's subject to market forces. Yes, uh, a virus can come and totally destroy things. But if, you, if God is your place of rest, if God is your place of security, then you are indeed secure forever. Secure into eternity. And so we want to be people who say, God, I don't want you to fit into my will and my way. God, I want to fit into your plan, your will, and your way when it comes to my finances. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And so is there an area in your life, maybe, you're looking for the rest that only God can provide somewhere else? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's something else. You're not being generous. You're in protection-only mode because you think that if your life unravels and you become broke, let's say, that God will not care for you anymore. Here's the truth of it. We can't protect ourselves to the peace that our souls need. It only comes from the Spirit of Christ. And so we don't want to build a fortress against him with our money. We want to open ourselves up and say, Christ, fill me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to rest in your love. I'm going to rest in your love as the hymn says, where fears are stilled and where striving cease. That's the place of rest that we are actually looking for and needing. And that is given to us, not someday, but comes presently with the reality that we are in union with Christ Found today. You don't have to save up to get there. He's already done that for you. You want the rest that doesn't come from future security, but comes from the reality that we are secure in the hands of our Father. Amen? Amen. So we're going to keep going. And as we continue on, what we're going to see is that Jesus just doesn't tell us to abstain from money and possessions. No. What we'll see is that he actually gives us an eternal perspective to consider. So let's continue on in Luke 12, uh, 20 through 21. Uh, I lost my place. It says this, um, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so, as we come to the close of our passage, here's what we must get. Here's here's what we must not let another year pass, another day pass, before we start to grasp this reality. The eternal perspective that Jesus gives us. If we want to be rich toward God, we must realize that our lives are on loan. Our lives are on loan. 
So Jesus brings the parable to a close. And what happens is the full, full weight, the full uh, just picture of this man's foolishness is brought to bear. Foolishness of his greed, the foolishness of his obsession with thinking that he can secure rest for his mind, his body, his soul. It's exposed that was, as he thought his soul, he thought everything belonged to him, and God said, whoa, 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 actually all of it belonged to me. And so while his goods may last, while his crops may last, he's not going to. All the things that he possessed, he couldn't buy an extra gasp of breath in his lungs. And here's the thing about this, right? Yes, his life is required of him, not just in the sense that he has to give it up, but also in the sense that he he has to provide an answer for his life. He has to give an answer for the things that he's been given because that's the truth of it. First Corinthians, Paul says what? There is nothing that we have that we have not received. Or I love the way God says it in Job 41. He says, who can pay me back? Who do I have to pay back? Everything under the sky belongs to me. And that's the truth of it. Everything belongs to God including our lives, including all the treasures that we have in our life. And so this man acted like a fool. If we don't want to be foolish, if we don't want our lives to be a parable like this, Jesus says there's a better way to live. There's a a perspective that you have to consider and consider the fact that your life is on loan. And so it's not abstaining from money, but it's treating money with, your, with this eternal perspective. Your life is not your own. Your time is not your own. Your possessions are not your own. Your treasures are not your own. None of it belongs to you. It all belongs to God. Everything is on loan. And you know what? Beautiful thing is this is the banner that the church has flown from the very beginning. Right, you think about Acts 2, what are they doing there? The early church, they're sharing, they're having everything in common. It's not because somebody was forcing them to live that way, but it's because they got this. And so when needs arose, they were like, yeah, sure. If we have it and someone else doesn't, absolutely. You see, their grip wasn't like this. It was saying, God, it's all yours. How can I use it to your glory? How can I use it for your service? And this is the way the church has been throughout the years, even continuing today. And I think it's important I make that point just because I know the church gets flack for all sorts of stuff, right? But there's still this reality that believers are way more generous when compared to those who would say they don't believe. And not even just in church, but in society broadly. You know, I think even for us, like we just left this Advent season, right? Where it was like, all right, every, the world, when it comes to Christmas, is like, get as much as you can, buy as much as you can, get as much as you can. And we're like, no, we're going to give as much as we can, give as much as we can, give as much as we can. And the reason why we do that, right, is this truth. This is we are part of the church. We are a part of this reality that our lives are on loan. And one thing I want to acknowledge is you guys really stepped into that well. Right, and our Advent offering, you guys really were generous, and there's no doubt, like, many people are going to be blessed because you stepped into this, stepped into this reality. 
But I even just think about this, right? How much more, how much more, how much more of a witness we could be if we really grasp this, if we all get on board with this, that our lives are on loan, that all of what we have, we want to say, God, how can it be used for your glory, for your service? How can we truly be blessed to be a blessing in our world? How can we be freed up into living this life that frees us from the futility of thinking that money can be our savior? There are many people suffering under that lie and also causing others to suffer under it. That's because there is an enemy that wants you to think more than anything else. God's not good. He's not going to protect you. And that, you know what? You have to be your own God. Even though we see how just futile this, this mindset is, right? We see all, even the richest people, lives cut short, lives unraveling, that money can't provide that security that they were ultimately looking for. Jesus has come to free us from that deception. Now, some of you might be saying, well, I don't have a lot of money right now. I don't have a lot. Am I excluded from this? Right? Can, I not, I, I, can I participate in this call of Jesus because I don't have a lot of money? Here's what I would say. Whether you are in survival mode or you're sitting pretty or doing well financially, the call of discipleship is the same because it's a call to stewardship. It's a call to managing the resources that you have, resources that God has given you. And if we really think about our lives, he's given us a lot, given us breath in our lungs, allowed us to see another year. He put the sun in the sky. I know during the summer it's a little too much sometimes, but right, providing for us in all these different ways. And so the call is the same. Whether you have a lot or a little, it's a call to recognizing. It's a heart posture that says, all of the treasure I have, God, it belongs to you. So the, I always say that the American dream may have its place in our life. But ultimately, the gospel call of living into this reality is what must rule our lives. And here's the good news is that God isn't Googling your net worth and then making a value judgment. That's what we often do. We Google net worths and like, oh man, they're doing really well. No, God is judging or looking at our heart posture. Even if you don't have a little, are you like that widow who had but two pennies to her name? But she said, God, it all belongs to you. And so I'm going to drop those two pennies. And then Jesus saw that and said she gave the most because she was the most sacrificial. She recognized that her life was ultimately in God's care. And so I can't give you a list of everything to do. But I can tell you if that's the posture of your heart, God will show you what to do. Church, this is the truly rich life indeed. Because what it means is that we can have joy no matter what the season we find ourselves in. It's one of those things that contributes to an everlasting joy. It's a thing, a thing that contributes to the reality that we are under God's care ultimately. And so we want to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, 
whether I'm abounding or in base or base. Right, there's a joy that remains because it's not my money that's my strength. It's not my possessions that my strength. It's Christ who is my strength, and he remains no matter if you are in one of those two situations. He is our strength. He, are, he is rich in love towards us, so we desire to live rich towards him. Amen? So now we come to the table. And what the table reminds us is this, is that the generosity, this sacrificial way that we've been talking about today, it doesn't, become, doesn't come because we're trying to be nice, generous, virtuous people. No. We give, we live this way because ultimately what we've received from Christ. That we serve a God who is generous towards us beyond what we can imagine. Who showed a measurable greatness towards us, a measurable love towards us, a measurable generosity towards us in the sending of his son to pay the price we couldn't pay with all the money that we have. So we are the recipients of generosity. And so I've heard it said as thunder follows lightning, right? Generosity follows grace. And so what this table reminds us is, is just that, that our God was rich towards us when he sent Christ to die on our behalf so that we can truly live the abundant life that's found in him. So I'm going to pray and we'll move into singing. I just encourage you, think about these questions this year. I don't think this series is for someone else. God has something to say for all of us over these next couple weeks. I'll pray, and then after I'm finished praying, come forward uh, for communion if you are a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, um, that you are sovereign, that you are reigning, God, that you are our security. God, that we don't go through this world uh, as abandoned children. God, we are cared for. We have an identity to live from not one we have to strive towards finding. And God, ultimately, you have showed a measurable generosity towards us. God, in, in, in giving us your son, giving us your son who's present with us, giving us your spirit, Lord, that shows us how to use the treasure that comes from your hand. And so lead us into this year, God. Allow us to be more faithful in this area of our lives. And God, allow it to be all done to your glory, to your honor. Amen.